against the Moses jokes. And the question I want to ask is, how did he do it? How did he do it? And I'm going to go through basically Moses and the burning bush and the interaction he had with God at the burning bush. And I want to, I want to focus on two things, the interactions that he had with God and, and God's interactions with him, because it really is kind of unique. So, Father, I just ask you to bless your word right now. And uh, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would bring it forth the way you want it brought forth. There are two questions I want to ask here. One, who did Moses think he was? And two, who did God think Moses was? Those are the two questions I want to try and answer in this, in this dialogue. So to give you just a little bit of backdrop, in uh, Exodus chapter 2, uh, Moses killed a, a, an Egyptian who was harassing a Hebrew. The next day he went and tried to break up two Hebrews who were fighting. And one of them said, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? So Moses thought they found out. And then Pharaoh tried to kill him, so he ran. Went and hid out in Midian. That's a long way away for those of you who don't know. Now Moses was born, and his parents knew that there was something special about him. Probably didn't know what, but they just had that sense. And, and so they hid him for three months, and then Moses' mom built a basket and put him in the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter found him. And Moses' sister, who would be Miriam, was following to see what would happen to him and asked Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to get a Hebrew woman who was nursing to nurse him? Sure, go ahead. So Moses was raised by his mother, paid by Pharaoh, until he was able to go into Pharaoh's house. So then Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and entered the palace and was raised there an Egyptian. So that's his background. So now he's running away from all of that. Um, I imagine it was not a pauper lifestyle. He was probably fairly well off, had access to all the good foods and all the good clothes and everything that came along with royalty. Ends up in Midian, sitting at a well. And seven young ladies come with a bunch of sheep, trying to water the sheep, and other shepherds are trying to throw them away and say, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Moses stands up and defends them, waters the flock, and the seven daughters go back to their dad, who was Jethro, and says, Jethro says, what are you doing back so quick? He's used to delay. And they go, well, this Egyptian guy watered the flocks for us and kept everybody away. And, and Jethro goes, well, you could at least invite him to dinner. I mean, it's the least you can do for someone who's helped you. So they invite him over, and he agrees to stay with them. So now he's gone from the son of Pharaoh's daughter to a shepherd, probably never handled sheep in his whole life. And now he's a shepherd. And he's given one of Jethro's daughters, and they have a child. And the child's name is Goshen, which means I am an alien or a foreigner. 
I think one version says, I'm a stranger in a strange land. And for those of you who are my age, there was a Leon Russell song by that name. And I thought about that while I was studying this. <clears throat> and I looked it up, and they're talking about a baby in hay in the song. I'm going, well, you know, that sounds kind of religious. But I don't know. They said it was named after a science fiction book. But who knows? But anyway, that's the background. So now Moses is tending the sheep, and he said he was there for a long time. And then the king of Egypt died. So the person who was seeking Moses' life dies. Now we get to chapter 3. Well, before we get to chapter 3, because I'm still setting it up. Israel, the children of Israel, are crying out because of their bondage. And in, in verse 24 of chapter 2, it says, God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. I, I found that very interesting. God knew. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that the groanings that were coming up were coming from people he had made a covenant with. And now we get back to Moses, who is tending his sheep, walk along the back of a mountain, and he finds something. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 2 of chapter 3 in a flame of fire within a bush. Moses looked that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. I know we always look at this in hindsight, but try and picture yourself <clears throat> taking a walk on a trail and there's a bush that's burning but not burning. Doesn't make sense, does it? So what, what did any good, normal person do? I'm curious. I'm curious. I've got to see what this is. So he goes over and tries to get a closer look. And the bush says, Moses, Moses. <clears throat> I mean, it's one thing to have a bush on fire that's not burning. It's another one to have a talking bush that's on fire and not burning. And what did Moses say? Here I am. What else could he say? Sorry, you got the wrong guy. <clears throat> you know, that, that's my adopted name. My real name is whatever. But he says, here I am. So he, he's not so afraid of what's going on that he backs away and runs. Like many people today would do if they had an encounter with God. <sighs> here I am. And then the bush says, don't come closer. Take off your sandals. The feet you're standing on is holy ground, or the ground you're standing on is holy. Now, we do that you know, without thinking so much. We'll take our shoes off if, if people at our house don't want to wear shoes. You know, we'll say, take your shoes off. And we'll do it out of a symbol of respect. He's in a desert walking around on dirt and rocks. He needs that protection for his feet. And God says, or this burning bush says, take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy. Now, this is an Eastern tradition 
that you do that out of reverence for uh, the gods. They do it in, in the Muslim churches today, in Islam churches. They will take off their shoes and enter the church out of respect for Allah. It's a common practice. It's not fully understood or, or followed here, but it is a common practice. So he takes off his sandals. And then God proceeds to tell him what he's going to do. And, but he starts by saying, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, we know that Jesus quotes this when he says, God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. So anyway, he says, I've seen the things that are going on. And when he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses then became afraid. <clears throat> because now it's not just a talking, burning bush. It's a talking, burning bush that says it's God. And now you're in the presence of something that's much bigger than yourself. And you have, to, you have to figure out how you're going to react to that. And so he hid his face. Think God will, think God will see me? And I think about the reaction, you know? I mean, you can't walk away from it. You can't turn away. Yet you don't want to know what's coming because it's kind of scary. This is something that's never happened before. So God goes on to say, I have observed the misery of my people and have heard them crying out. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. God to the rescue. How many of you want God to rescue something today? God to the rescue. <clears throat> I'm going to use you, Moses. You go. I want you to talk to Pharaoh. I want you to lead the Israelites out. Moses' reaction? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out? Who am I? I'm tending sheep. Now, what did God not say to Moses? God did not say, well, Moses, you were brought up in Pharaoh's house. You know the Egyptian customs. You know their standards. That was true. But that wasn't the identity that God wanted Moses to have. So God didn't say, I'm calling you because you were brought up in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. He didn't say, I'm not, I called you because you're a Levite. And that Levite was blessed by Jacob. I didn't, that, it was true. But that didn't qualify Moses to do what God wanted him to do. And so sometimes we get in this picture, and I'll give another illustration here in a minute, where we think that we have to have a certain identity in order to be in a position where God wants to use us. And we have to understand certain phrases or certain terminologies or certain things, and, and then God will use us. But that's not what God said. God said, I will certainly be with you. What qualified Moses to go back, face Pharaoh, face the Israelites, and lead the people of Israel out? God 
was with him. God was with him. And even with that assurance, God says, well, what if they ask me your name? What if they want to know who you are? What if they say, who is this burning bush guy? What did he say? And God says, tell them I am that I am. I am has come. And I am will deliver you. And I am will be with you. It's a current possessive word. I am. So what does Moses do? He argues with God. I've I've never argued with God. It's sunny outside, right? How many times do we argue with God when we don't like what he says? But God, I'm not a good speaker. But God, I'm not eloquent. Lord says, who placed a mouth in humans? Do we know? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? What? Is it not I, the Lord? And he goes, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Now, as I was studying this, I was seeing a lot of New Testament scriptures pop out, and I want to get to some of those. I will teach you. I will tell you what to say. Go. Just go. And then Moses. Can you relate to Moses? Moses goes, Lord, please send someone else. Send someone else. I know this person needs to go to heaven, but send somebody else to do it, to tell them about you. Please, just send someone. Please. And God's sitting there going, I'm still in the fire that's in the bush that's not being burned, and you're still barefoot because you're still on holy ground, Moses. And you're asking me to find someone else. And, and I can almost sense the exasperation. I mean, the scripture says the Lord's anger burned against Moses. <clears throat> That's not a very good thing to have, you know, to have God's anger burning against you. Burned against Moses. All right, isn't Aaron your brother? I know he speaks well. He's on, in fact, he's on his way. Kind of like the side note is, I figured we would have this conversation, Moses, so I'm going to make sure that I have a contingency plan here just so that you will go like you're supposed to go. Aaron's coming. I know he can talk well. He's looking for you. You're going to find him, and both of you are going to go. And I I should say that Moses even asked find someone else after God gave him two signs to show the Israelites that he was sent by God. How we think, looking back, how dense. But when we look within, are we any less dense sometimes? Does God tell us to do things and put in our heart 
a phone call or a letter or an email or something to lift somebody up or help somebody along and I'm too busy. Let someone else do it. Let someone else do it. My grandmother was uh, bedridden for the last 20, 30 years. My dad's dad. And her husband took care of her. Blessed, blessed guy. I mean, he was a really neat guy. And I would go and visit at their apartment in San Diego and I'd walk in and I'd sit down and I'd say a psalm with my grandmother and I'd pray with her and she liked it and you know and then I'd ask my grandpa how things were going and figure well you know I'm I'm here to minister to my grandma but I don't know where my grandpa is with the Lord and I never got a chance to ask him because he died of a massive heart attack 2 weeks before she did and I had to walk into that apartment and say Grandma, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Not being able to say what I wanted to say. Because I was too dense to say, Grandpa, what's your relationship with Jesus? I know he had a religious upbringing, but I don't know what his relationship was with Jesus. You know, you have to live with that. And, and I don't want to be like Moses saying, send somebody else. If God's saying, I want you to go. I want to go. And it's easier when we understand that God is with us, but that doesn't always make it easy. So I just want to share one other person who had a similar experience, and that's Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Gideon, where was Gideon? Where were we first introduced to Gideon? What is he doing? Threshing wheat, where? In a wine press. Right? Do any of you, have any of you studied how they threshed wheat back in ancient times? Get a basket and throw it up in the air, and the wind blows the chaff away and the wheat falls back down. Right? So he's throwing up, and he's in a wine press. What's not in a wine press? Wind. He's trying to hide from the Jews, so he's down here. <laughs> hoping it doesn't get too high and that the uh, middle night see him. So he's, he's trying to thresh wheat without anybody seeing him. And an angel shows up, no burning bush, and says, the Lord is with you, valiant man of God. Who are you talking to? And then what's his first response? And I found this very interesting. I didn't really catch it until I read it for this message. If God is with us, why did he let all things happen? You know, why has he forsaken us? Did you catch the change in pronouns here? The Lord is with you, mighty man of God, if the Lord is with us, why did this happen? Gideon didn't think he was worth it either. Because the Lord said, go and go in the strength you have, which is a little different than what he said to Moses, 
and fight the battle. And again, Gideon replied, I can't do that. I'm the least in the family of Benjamin, and I'm the youngest in my family. And the angel said, the Lord will be with you, and you will defeat the Midians as one man. So what does Gideon do? He asked for a sign. If this is true, stay here. Hang on. I want to go get you a sacrifice. Fine. All right. So he goes, gets sacrifice. The angel touches it with his staff. Fire comes up out of the rock, similar to the bush. Destroys the sacrifice, and the angel disappears. And, and Gideon goes, oh, my goodness. What has just happened here? And then when he gathers the people, he asks God for another sign. If you're really with me, God, let this fleece be wet and everything else be dry. Gets up the next morning. I can imagine him walking up to the fleece, just kind of tentatively grabbing for it and wringing it. Filled up a bucket of water. All right, God, one more time. Bear with me, please. Tomorrow, let the dew be everywhere else but the fleece. Fine. At least he recognized that it was God then. So that when God said, there's too many people here, he said, okay, everybody who doesn't want to be here, go. Still too many? Okay. If you get down and lap like a dog, you're, you're going. You know, he got 32,000 down to 300 and defeated the whole Midian army. But he knew it was God. And that's what happens when we recognize that God is with us. Sometimes we have to ask for signs too. I, I get that. But then Jesus, when he comes up, um, and, and he's talking to the people, he, he says, don't worry about what you say because I'll tell you what to say in that hour. And I've done sermons like that. I don't know if Terry has or not, or Frank. I don't know what I'm going to say. I really don't. But God, you said you'd give me the words. So give me a scripture to go on, Lord, and, and I'll go on it. And Jesus said, you're going to go before kings. You're going to be persecuted. All sorts of things are going to happen to you. But don't worry what you're going to say, because in that hour, I will tell you what to say. How does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit that's in us means that God is with us. And if the Holy Spirit is in us, we are listening to what God has to say. In fact, when Jesus left in Matthew 28, he said, all authority is given to who? Who is all authority given to? Jesus. All authority is given to me, he said. Then he says, go and make disciples, telling them and baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And lo, what? I am with you. How often? How often? Always. Always, always, always with you. We have to recognize that no matter where we stand, God is with us. No matter what we go through, 
God is there. No matter what we believe, no matter what we think, God is in it. And he wants us to recognize that, that he is in it. There was a a missionary named Judson Taylor, Hudson Taylor, J. Hudson Taylor, just so you know where I got the J. How many of you have heard of him? Okay. For 51 years, he poured his life into bringing Christ behind the closed doors of China. This is before the Mao Revolution. He founded China Inland Mission, and as a result, more than 800 missionaries were brought forth into the country. Hudson Taylor was a prayer warrior and a faith giant. He was able to speak several Chinese dialects and help translate the New Testament into the dialect used in Shanghai, where he spent many years of his life. Unlike many European missionaries, Taylor was careful of the Chinese culture, respecting their way of life and even adopting their clothing. He faced sickness and loss with a spirit of unshaken trust, leaving behind a legacy that has inspired thousands of missionaries in all corners of the world. In his own words, and this is what I want to leave you with, and then I'm going to read a, a poem. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. And if we can get that into our mind that anything God asks us to do, we can do because he is with us, then it will help us to to make that step. However large or however small it may be, he will be there. So I might have you guys out early today. I'm, uh, my wife wrote a poem that I think applies here uh, very well. And it called, It Looked Impossible. And I'm sure when Moses was told to go and deliver um, the Israel from Pharaoh, it looked impossible. And in fact, she starts with Moses. So this is, she wrote this, I think, this morning. It looked impossible for Moses with his back against the sea. It looked impossible for David as he faced the Philistine. It looked impossible for Daniel thrown into the lion's den. It looked impossible for Shadrach in the fire with his friends. It looked impossible for Mary for a virgin to conceive. It looked impossible for Israel from slavery to be free. It looked impossible for Joseph in the prison left to die. It looked impossible for Abraham in old age to bring life. It looked impossible for Hannah since she had a barren womb. It looked impossible for Lazarus to come out from the tomb. It looked impossible for Jesus to rise up from the dead. It looked impossible that from a mountain he would soon ascend. It always looks impossible when man has not yet seen what our mighty God can do if we will just believe. For nothing is impossible for the Lord above, creator of the universe, God of power and love. So when you are discouraged, when you're feeling blue, know when it looks impossible is when our God comes through. He may not come the way you think, 
it may seem he delays. But our God is right on time. He's perfect in all his ways. Nothing is impossible. There's no thing he can't do. Our loving God's all-powerful. He's faithful and he's true. So lift your hands to heaven and praise the Lord above. For God still does the impossible for the ones he loves. We raise our hands to God. I believe God. I believe. I believe. Hebrews 11.6 said he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But we have to believe that he is. He is. And just because things don't look the way we think they should look doesn't change the fact that he is. He is still I am. And we have to trust in I am no matter what we're looking at. And I believe God is asking us to look to him, to raise our hands and to ask him just to help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, Lord. It's hard to overlook the testimony and the witnesses of so many people in your word who, who just overcame great odds and endured so much because they trusted in you and they believed in you. And Lord, I ask that you would just minister to our hearts. Lord, I believe. Here I am. Here I am. Send me. I don't know what this burning bush thing means. I, I don't know what this manifestation means that I cannot understand, but I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And Lord, today we determine that we will commit to you the things that we don't understand and put them in the hands of a God who does. We thank you, Lord, and we pray your blessing on each one today. Um, is there anyone who would need prayer? I'd be happy to